Hey y'all, welcome to the next episode of Adventures with Aggie brought to you by Coco's Coffee House. Today we have another episode featuring the National Wheelchair Basketball Association. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Woodson-Smith. She's a professor of adapted sport at North Carolina Central University and the vice chair of the Athlete Advisory Council of the Board of Directors at the NWBA. Please welcome Dr. Woodson-Smith. Dr. Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks for having me. Awesome, I'm so excited you're here. I know you've done lots of really cool things, so I can't wait to share your story. But um, let's kind of just start with your background. Can you tell me who you are and what you do? Sure, Um, I'm a professor in kinesiology and recreation administration at North Carolina Central University. And my specialty field is adaptive physical education. And I focus on the pedagogical approaches for teaching and I also look at working with students and individuals with disabilities. Um, our department is mostly focused in the sciences, so I really focus on the science and working with individuals with disabilities um, for physical therapists, rec therapists, um, athletic trainers, sports medicine in general. Uh, so I get to focus on that side more so than I do on the pedagogical side. And then I'm also developing a graduate uh, online program in adapted sports. And so that'll focus on the recreation and the kinesiology science side of of adapted sports. That's awesome. I love this. The education piece of adaptive sport is, I think it's growing a lot right now, but it's also really needed, which is why I'm also really excited to have this series on my show, hoping that it kind of puts it out there um, even more. But um, let's kind of, let's backtrack a little bit. Can you tell me, I I know your background's in basketball. So um, why basketball? How did this become your thing? You know, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I have an older brother and he played basketball. He played basketball, football, and track. And I kind of followed in his footsteps. Um, And so I tried basketball, I think in the third grade. And I was the only female or one of two females who played at the YMCA and I didn't like it. I I did not like basketball at all. Um, Volleyball was actually my favorite sport (laughs) and probably still is even though I've gone further with basketball. Um, But I, when I was in middle school, the high school coach at the time um, knew about me because of my brother and he knew that I was tall, I was six feet tall in eighth grade, seventh grade um, in eighth grade. And uh, he started you know, looking at what I could do and I was horrible. <laughs> I was really horrible, I was bad. <laughs> I just had height, <laughs> but he knew that I had the potential. Um, he knew my parents, both my parents worked in the school system. So they, he knew what kind of discipline that I already had going into sports. And so he recruited me for uh, varsity basketball at ninth grade because I played JV. Did I play JV? I don't know if I played JV or if I just played eighth grade basketball. I can't even remember. But he he recruited me for ninth grade varsity. And so we had three, two seniors who were six feet tall. And then we had myself who was six two at that time. <laughs> And so, you know, it, it, it was just um, the, the role models who I had at that time. And, you know, I, I went to a camp, um, Kathy Rush camp, I think it was the first camp that I went to, and I was invited to that camp. And no one knew who invited me to that camp. It was a 
Um, when you got invited, you coached for a week and then you played as a, as a uh, athlete for a week. And the only way that you were in that position is by invitation only. And so at that point, that's when I started to realize that I had potential to go further. Um, but I still was doing very well with volleyball at the same time because I was on a junior Olympic volleyball team at that same time. And so it was just a matter of really deciding which sport I wanted to go with. And honestly, I probably would have chosen volleyball if the uniform was more appropriate, <laughs> um, but it wasn't appropriate for me. And so I decided to go the basketball route. I had a lot more recruiters for basketball than I did for volleyball. Um, and so I, I decided to go the basketball route um, and I'm glad I did, <laughs> but I still try to double sport in college. I wanted to, there was a girl from UCLA who played volleyball and basketball and I wanted to do the same thing. But the coach at my university who was also my junior Olympic volleyball coach left. And so when she left, um, I really didn't want to play anymore because I, I really wanted to play for her um, if I were to do that. And so I decided not to do that and I just stayed with basketball. And um, that just took me into wheelchair basketball down the line. Yeah, that, I love dual sport athletes. I think that's so cool that you yes. can do that. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I was never a dual sport athlete. I tried everything for at least one season, but that was <laughs> not my area of expertise. <laughs> but that's so cool. That's so cool. I guess my next kind of follow-up is how did you find yourself at James Madison? I'm always interested in how people end up at their schools and things like that. So can yeah, you well, you know, most times when coaches are recruiting athletes, um, it's very typical for athletes to attend the college that's closest to them. You're either going to get one of the two. You're going to get the, cl the closest college or the further away college. And um, I had over 100 schools recruiting me. And so I narrowed it down to, I think, six schools, which were all located in Virginia, except for one. <laughs> um, and that one was my second choice. And so I went to, I was at Kathy Rush Camp and um, I met one of the athletes from JMU. She was working the camp. And there was another girl who was a camper um, who had the same name as I did. She was Andrea and I was Andrea and we connected really well. And so we decided after talking to um, Sydney Beasley from James Madison that we were going to try to get into that school together so that we could play together. And so, um, you know, when I went back home, um, I had a visit at North Carolina and I was really pushing for UNC because I'm a huge UNC fan. Um, and so it only made sense to go to UNC. But my father was a guidance counselor at the high school. And so he had a very strong connection with the guidance counselors at both universities. And he knew and had um, earlier athletes attend JMU. In fact, one of my teammates at JMU was also my teammate at, at high school. And so um, they pushed, my parents really pushed for me to go to JMU because they felt that um, it would be safer for me um, academically and they would be there to assist with anything. Um, they wouldn't have to travel far. I mean, JMU was only 30 minutes from my house, uh, whereas UNC at the time was five hours. And so it only made sense for them. She's gonna go to JMU. 
And then plus, you know, my brother was a big part of that. And so they, they reached out to my brother and told him, tell her to go to JMU. And he did. And so that's what I did. <laughs> if he said, go to UNC, I would have gone to UNC. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but you know, it, it also was about, um, I really wanted to go to a program that wasn't completely defined in wins, successful wins. I wanted to go to a, that was already established that way. I wanted to go to a program and help build that program. And JMU was that program that I could help build um, at the time that I thought that I could do. Um, but yeah, so it was that, you know, the academic, the athletic uh, academic advisor, the push from my parents, my brother, and just the sense of wanting to be a part of the building of that university. That's, that's awesome. Lots of forces, I guess, lots of yes. <laughs> forces, specifically the brother, but there are lots of things involved, which is... And I must say, JMU was the same, they had the same colors as my high school team. So, <laughs> it, you know, it kind of just went all together. Consistency. I like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's my high school, we were called the Rebels and we were red and blue, like those were our colors. And then the Ole Miss Rebels also exist, right? And so there mm -hmm. were so many people from my high school that just fled to Ole Miss. Um, once a rebel, always a rebel is what they say, but <laughs> <laughs> it works. It's it's a factor yeah, for sure. It is, it is. <laughs> awesome. Um, I guess let's kind of, I guess fast forward just a little bit, but um, how did you find the NWBA? How did this come about? So this, you know, it's really funny because when I was working on my master's degree, I actually did a research paper on wheelchair basketball and it didn't connect with me at all. I just did the paper because I had to do the paper. But when I went to work on my PhD, um, I took a disability sport class. And one of the parts of that class is that we got to go to different places and meet, meet different people who were involved in adapted sport. And so we went to Dallas um, to meet with the Lady Mavericks at the time, that was her name. Um, and one of the athletes there, Pam Fontaine, who was a USA player. And so we did an interview with her. And then of course, because we were at their practice, we got to try the sport out. And so my professor, as sneaky as she was, went over to Pam Fontaine and said, well, you know, she has arthritis in both hips. And uh, <laughs> And Pam, of course, said, well, she's eligible to play, so we're going to get her out here. How can we make this happen? And um, my professor said, well, I'll give her one Monday of a month of the month to come and practice because our class met on Mondays and the team practiced on Mondays. So she would allow me to go to practice once a month so that I can participate and see where it takes me. You know, and, and that was the blessing for me for that for my professor to release me from an academic experience to, you know, just blossom into who I came, who I became today. Um, and so they, I practiced with them and they have, the NWBA has, or used to have a summer camp. And so you would go to the summer camp, just like any other sport, you would go to a summer camp to get better. And so I went to the summer camp and I met one of um I think it was a former USA coach. A couple of them were there and they were the ones who were running the camp. And so they said, show me your wingspan. And I showed my wingspan and they said, yeah, you're going to be a USA player. And at the time I was trying to actually transition out of sport altogether. And I just wanted to be a female. Um, I wanted to possibly focus on coaching 
um, and not actually play any longer. And so when he said that, I was just kind of like, yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. But because another player came onto our team that was living in, in Virginia at the time, and they kept talking about how she was such a great player and she's a beast. And, you know, with my background, I'm the beast. <laughs> and so I was like, no, okay, if she's going to come and she's a beast, I need to get prepared. You know, so she helped push me to become a better player. Um, and thankfully she was on our team and I didn't have to play against her starting off. Um, but uh, that was initially how I got into the NWBA for wheelchair basketball. That's such a cool story. And I think that's, that's I feel like it's kind of common for people. They think they're done and then they're like, no, I still really like it. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I've heard that quite a few times on the show, and I think that's so cool. It's so cool. The passion's there. And yes, how to keep going, just keep on pushing. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. Well, I guess I just have some, I guess, more general questions, kind of about the process behind like national team selection and things like that. Um, so, can you just tell me what this looks like for athletes that are going through the process to be on Team USA, um, and then kind of working up towards the Paralympic Games? Like, what are those qualifications like? All right. Well. First, you have to be a part of an NWBA uh, team. And so in order to be able to try out and be, become eligible for um, the trial and the selection process, you must be a part of a team. Um, now that is a little bit different where we have several of our athletes, especially our male athletes and a few female athletes who go overseas and play. And so they had to open that up to make it more uh capable for those who were not in the United States playing on an NWBA team who could still be able to try out. And so you, you basically put your name into the pool or they'll find, they'll locate you and um, ask if you would like to uh, be a part of the selection process. And then you attend uh, one of camp and they run through different types of drills and games and different things. They check your strength and all of that. Um, and so that usually is about four days, three to four days. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, just depending on uh, where the camp is located. So you go through that process to be able to make that team. And most athletes will come in at the world championship stage. So that's usually the first competition. And then we have the pair of pan stage and some athletes will miss the world championship and just do the Parapan and, and the Paralympics. And so I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I believe the men have a two-year process that would, where if you make the team in the Parapan time period, then you stay. But if you try out for just the Paralympics, I don't think that is the case um, with the men. Now with the women, I think it's yearly um, that you can try out any part within with that selection process. But you go through that selection process with the women. I think it is two camps um, before they actually select the team, depending on the numbers. And so our, <clears throat> our numbers are relatively low. And so we may have one camp and then the, the selection is, is complete at that camp, or they may have two camps and then do a selection at that point. And if it's multiple camps, typically they will cut a certain number and then move on to the next camp and then cut that last one, last few um, members before they actually state the team. But it, it's, a, it's a long process. Um, it's a lot of training, a lot of hours that you have to put in. You can't just come off the street and off the court and, and try out for that. 
Um, it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work. Um, and, it, and it can be very challenging because the first part of that is that you have to pay for your way out there. So if the camp is in Colorado and you're in Virginia or North Carolina or on the East Coast, you have to pay for that flight out there. Everything else is taken care of, but you have to get yourself there. And so sometimes that can be um, a barrier, especially for females who are interested in participating because the men's side, they have so many men who are able to participate and try out. Um, the women just don't have that yet. Sure, yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Great segue. Um, can you kind of talk about just the growth of women's adaptive sport um, that you've seen in the last few years? And I know you've already mentioned some of the barriers and things that, um, but let's talk about, I guess, the, the positive part, right? Like there, I think there are more and more people that are getting involved in this, which is so exciting, but can you just give some insight there? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's an increase in girls participating in adaptive sport, which is wonderful to see. Um, we didn't have a lot of females participating because they didn't want to participate with the boys because either they weren't going to get the enough playing time or um, they weren't going to get any playing time. And so now we've developed a system where uh, girls can play on the women in the women's division. And so that allows more girls to be able to participate uh, with just females. But it, it's, it has grown tremendously, I think, in the juniors division um, of having more girls involved in sport. It's, we're trying to keep that growth and transition that growth into the collegiate division as well as in the women's division. And unfortunately, at this time with the women, is that um, we don't have a lot of collegiate teams for females to participate on. And so you lose a lot of those females at that point, or um, they go to college and they go attend a college where there isn't a women's team available to play on. And so there, there's a lot of things that we're trying to fix with that to allow these girls to continue to play after high school, because there are, there are several, there is a lot of girls coming up and they are good and we wanna be able to keep them and sustain their activity and involved in wheelchair basketball. But the growth is there. It's just that we have to work to increase our divisions um, of the women's on the women's side. Sure, I think that's actually not what I was expecting. I feel like lots of times people say in the United States, grassroots is what's lacking, but I think that's really interesting that they can get to a certain point and then there's not anything else for them to go into. Um, that's. I feel like it's backwards with a lot of sports in the in the U.S., which is right. interesting to hear. Right, because we only have four women's teams, possibly five in the intercollegiate division. Okay. And then in the women's division, the national division, we have roughly 10. And that number has not really increased for years. We may have had 12 teams at one point, but I don't think it's ever uh, gone beyond 12. And so if you have 10 teams and they're spread out all over the United States and they're not close to each other, that's expense. And a lot of people can't afford that expense to travel to different tournaments. You have to pay for your equipment. Um, you might be able to get a grant for that, um, but you still have to pay for getting to those tournaments. And unfortunately, like I said, we, we just at this time don't have um, enough women's teams to close those gaps between each state. And so that's where the fall off starts to occur. Sure, sure. Well, let's fix it. I wanna see, I wanna yes. see. <laughs> yes, I do too. 
<laughs> cool. Um, so I guess I more specifically about your role at the NWBA. Can you just kind of tell me what what your role is as vice chair of the Athlete Advisory Council um, and how you're working to raise the awareness and education on adaptive sport? Sure. So right now I am a member of the board of directors and vice chair of the Athlete Advisory Council. And then I'm also a committee member on the high performance um, committee and the American Development Coaching Education Committee as well. And so what we're, what my voice is, is to be the voice of the athletes. Um, and so if the athletes have concerns or they have questions, um, maybe they don't understand something, they can come to the Athlete Advisory Council. And so there's several of us on that council and bring their concerns to us. And then we take those concerns to the board. And so we try to create a more athlete-centered um, organization versus an administrative organization. So that way it's not top down of what you're receiving, but athletes have a major component and factor into uh, the decisions that are made. And so with that, um, the blessing of that is that where I am now is looking at developing, uh, like I was saying, the graduate program for master's degree students to go into this field. And so when they go into, um, you know, your sport management, your sport marketing, um, that type of industry, you have a specific background in disability. So that way, when you enter into those areas, you're not learning disability at the same time that you're learning your position. And so they'll come in with that background, which is very important to have, um, which kind of goes in, in hindsight with uh, being a coach of a sport. And so when you go into that sport, not only do you have to know the rules and regulations of the sport, but you have to know how the disabilities work as well. So you're learning two things at the same time. So I'm trying to reduce that and then include more athletes to be able to get their master's degree in that field um, and go into and hopefully create these new teams and other um, components within adaptive sports. That's that's so cool. I want to take your classes. I want to Come on. <laughs> Join in. Yeah. No, it sounds great, though. I think that's really cool that you've noticed that there is that lack of, uh, I guess, information before going into adaptive sport that needs to be filled. And you're doing exactly that. So that's really cool. Um, but I guess next question, kind of a follow up to that. How can people support NWBA and get involved if they're not playing, I guess? One is to Go to the website, check the website. Um, we do take do donations for one, for financial support, um, but two, go in and volunteer. Volunteer your time to, to work with a team, um, learn how you can develop a team. Um, like I said, we need more teams in the country, especially on the women's side, but just go in and become an active participant within the NWBA. So it's one thing to go to look at a website and say, oh, this is kind of interesting, but it's another thing to go in and make the connection and build that relationship so that you can start having progress towards a specific goal. Um, so yeah, if you see you know, a commercial of anyone with a disability that's you know, for the athletic side, I think there, I just saw a commercial, uh, I think during Christmas time, and I think it was an insurance commercial. And it was one of the athletes that I play against from Philadelphia. And it was like, wow, okay, so he's on, he's on the commercial. That's awesome. You know, but making that connection and seeing that, oh, okay, so let me see what, uh, what else is out there. And if you know about wheelchair basketball, venture into it. 
because it's a it's one of our mainstream sports. Um, it's it's a great opportunity for everyone to be involved because just about every discipline can be involved in wheelchair basketball. It doesn't matter if you're raising money, if you are looking at marketing, social media, um, social aspects, research, whatever the case may be, you can find that within the NWBA. Definitely. That I, I want to be more involved now. I'm excited, but I'm so pumped to just share this story because I feel like hopefully people will go get involved and support and um, maybe we're going to, I don't know, get all the NYU kids involved or something like that. Yeah, We'll see. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I, last question for you. I end all of my shows on advice. So what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Oh gosh, I would give my younger self a lot of advice. <laughs> <laughs> you can give us more. Give us more. <laughs> um, one, I, I think I would give myself the advice of pay attention. Um, pay attention to the things that you actually do. Like I said, I, I wrote a paper on wheelchair basketball and didn't really look at what was all involved in it because I was just getting the paper done. But if at that time I noticed the eligibility factors, then I would have participated in that sport a lot sooner than what I did. Um, so just you know, pay attention to everything um, that is focused on you know things that are not um, things that you're not familiar with, you know, um, I've, I've had people in my life who've had disabilities, mostly intellectual disabilities, but still pay attention, pay attention to that because it, it's, it's important. It's an, it's involves people. Um, and you can't go wrong if you just pay attention. That's great advice. I think Younger Andrea would appreciate it, <laughs> but um, no, that's perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your story and giving us more insight into into the NWBA um, in general. But um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Woodson-Smith, for sharing your story. Tune in on Friday morning to hear from Trooper Johnson, the head coach of the women's national wheelchair basketball team. He's also a four-time Paralympian, two-time bronze medalist, and he's currently down at training camp with the women's team preparing for Tokyo. So tune in on Friday morning.